If you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is in correspondence with the church that he planted in the worst city of the world. For about five years, he visits and sends letters back and forth. And the church, this new church, is trying to figure out what it's like to be a church. And so a lot of times they're sending questions to Paul and their correspondence. Well, what do we do about food offered to idols? And what do we do about baptism? And what do we do about... And today really is all about the Lord's Supper. But there's another piece of this that uh, maybe you're not aware of. So I'm going to start out and I want to read a long section of Scripture. All right, so it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. So I know that's long, but, but, but try to stay with me. He says, regarding your questions, in the following, I can't praise you. For it sounds if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's special approval will be recognized. That's tongue-in-cheek. He says, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What kind of Lord's Supper is this? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread or drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And this is a really interesting piece I'm not going to talk about. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and some of you have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. And if you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourself when you meet together. I'll give you more instructions about other matters after I arrive. All right, so let's talk about the Lord's Supper the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. So one of the first things I want you to notice about this text, and, and really it's pretty fascinating, is that Paul quotes Jesus. Uh, Paul is going to say, especially near the end of this passage, he says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. Now, why is this interesting? It's pretty interesting because Corinthians was actually written probably about two decades before the first gospel was written which we think was probably Mark, right? 
So 20 years before the first words of Jesus were printed, here is Paul giving the people, in my Bible, it's even in red letters. Do you have that? He gives the people the actual words of Jesus. And it's all about this thing called the Lord's Supper. And he tells the story of what happened. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, he gathered his disciples together. He took the elements, and this is an essential part of it, the bread and the cup, right? The bread and the blood. And he says, these things represent my body broken and poured out for everyone. And even Jesus says, this is a whole new deal. This is a whole new covenant. It makes a whole new arrangement. That whole sacrificial system, you can read about it in Hebrews and in Leviticus, one of my favorite books. You can go check it out. There's this whole system of sacrifice to draw humanity back to God, but humanity can never keep its end of the bargain. And so God sent his own son to pour out his once and for all blood, right? We just sang about it. This life-giving blood for all of us to wash away our sins. We have this new covenant, this new relationship with God through the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. And Jesus reminds people, he, and Paul reminds them too, he says, whenever you meet together, I want you to practice this. Why? Because you're forgetful, right? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Whenever you get together, you need to draw, this is, this is to be a frequent and repetitive act intended to engage us. There's some fascinating stuff about memory and remembrance in the Old Testament. Uh, It was said that the smoke of the sacrifices that were raised, so the barbecue smoke that went up with the sacrifice in the Old Testament, were engaging God's memory. It says that it reminded God of his promises and to keep his promises. And and this Lord's Supper, this body and bread, this, this bread and this cup are supposed to do the same things for us to arouse memory in us. But it's, it's not just to remember, but also to respond. So he talks about the elements. He talks about memory, but he also talks about the manner in which you, you enter into this Lord's Supper space is pretty important, right? He even says that there's a way you can go about this that is unworthy, he wants you to recognize the significance of the symbols, that they're, that they're sacred, that they're to be revered, taken with reverence. Like, and, and this thing, when you do this thing kind of in the correct manner with the right idea around it, like it can be a vehicle to unite us with God and, and draw us near to him. But if we somehow like don't revere the elements and don't remember them, what they're all about, and, and really don't respond then this thing that was intended to draw us to God could actually cause us to sin and create space. And so he gives a simple advice. He says, hey, before you do this, examine yourself, right? Check yourself head to toe. Confess any sins that might be lingering in there. Remember what these elements of communion of the Lord's Supper stand for and the obligation, the response that comes with that. Don't be caught 
in, in an unworthy posture, taking the Lord's Supper. Now, I want to take a side note, and this is just for Adam. Sometimes Paul says, this is a command from the Lord, and sometimes Paul says, this is really just more me. This is, more, this is just more me, okay? Is that okay? Are, can you handle that? Good. Um, have any of you ever been denied communion? Have any of you ever been denied the Lord's Supper? No one wants to admit it, <laughs> right? Like, so probably if you've been to a, uh, sometimes lo- more liturgical streams, sometimes of, uh, of our brotherhood, like, like there are kind of people that are in and out, right? And, and a large sometimes this is all about baptism. Sometimes this is you're just not a part of our church. Sometimes there are all of these reasons that, that sometimes the Lord's Supper is, is denied to people. And sometimes it is used, this verse kind of like, well, because you haven't been baptized, because you're a sinner, because you don't know what this is about, you're, frankly, you're just unworthy, right? And, and I think there's a part of that, that that's really okay and, and kind, of, kind of sort of true, but I think it misses something too. I, I think this Lord's Supper thing was really about grace, I love the old story of the the Scottish Highland minister. He saw an old woman hesitate to receive the cup, and he stretched it out to her saying, take it, woman. It's for sinners. It's for you. So there's two sides of this. Of course, I want you to do this in a way that's worthy and honors God and what he does. But at the same time, if the table of Christ were only for perfect people, none might ever approach it, right? Um, I think overwhelmingly the life and teaching and example of Jesus is of one who pursues the sinner. Um, maybe you think this is out of context, but I love the story of Jesus and a man named Zacchaeus. Right? It wasn't until Zacchaeus had a meal with Christ that his life was changed and turned around. Jesus pursued the sinner. And, and you see this example of him trying to eat with sinners all the time, right? So I think it's both. I, like, I want you to do this in a way that, that's worthy and God-honoring. And I put that challenge on every one of you. But I also think that this is a space of, of, of life and grace He goes on in chapter 11, in verse 29, he says this, For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating God's judgment upon yourself. So this is really an interesting phrase, and and theologians kind of chew on this. Because mostly when Paul is talking about communion, He's talking about the body and the blood. He, and in fact, he says that several times. The body and the blood, the body and the blood. And then in verse 29, he says, but if you eat this bread and drink this cup without honoring the body of Christ, you could be somehow like bringing God's judgment upon you. And so the body of Christ for sure means the, the, the blood and the flesh of Jesus torn and poured out for us. But overwhelmingly, there's another meaning here. Overwhelmingly, in Paul's letter 
to Corinth, the body of Christ, I mean, it means Jesus' body for sure, but when he, Paul talks about the body of Christ, he really means something else. What do you think that is? Well, if you just look across the page in chapter 12, he's going to talk about the body of Christ as the church. So, in the ancient world, especially Corinth, uh, division and discrimination were everywhere, not like here today. Corinth was a multi-ethnic, multi-race city. It was the hub of trade and religion. It was the hub of the world in many ways. It was filled literally with people of every tribe and tongue and nation and people. Some were wealthy. Some were slaves. Um, some were sailors. Some were businessmen. Some were Jews. Some were Gentile. Some were Greek. Some were Roman. Some were cultured and some were ignorant. And they were staunchly and, and rigidly divided. You would never associate with one or the other. And that's when the early church began this really curious custom based on Jesus' own example. They called it the love feast, or, or for, sure, for short, sometimes they just called it the agape. Uh, I have a picture of... Uh, uh, of what it might have looked like. Oh, I didn't put the picture in. Oh, well, that would have been great. Um, that was pretty emotional, meaningful. Oh, wait, maybe it's the next slide. Oh, there it is, yes. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, let's talk about love now. Um, this is a picture, uh, a painting uh, inside a, a catacomb in Rome. And it's a picture of the agape. The love feast. Now, you guys, have been, I know, man, you, there are some faithful Christians in here. How many of you have ever heard of the agape feast, the love feast? Okay, half of you are lying. No, it's okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is the, the early church had, so mean today, I don't know why. Um, the early church had this custom called the agape and it was kind of like what, I mean, we're in middle Tennessee, so like for us, like it might be like a potluck. I don't know. But what would happen was that everyone at the church would come together, and they would invite anyone else who wanted to come, and they would all bring something. They would bring whatever they had. They, they pulled their resources, and everyone sat down together for a common meal. And this may be surprising to you, but in the early church at least, the agape or the love feast and what we think of as the Lord's Supper would have been indistinguishable, right? These things happened together. Just like when Jesus is at the Last Supper, he's actually at a supper and uses elements of this meal. And so this love feast, along with the Lord's Supper, is what was happening. Now, I don't fully understand it, and you can, you can take the side note and go, go dig it up wherever you want. Somewhere in church history, um, somebody decided that the Lord's Supper should be separated from the, the agape, right? Maybe it was just, hey, we don't have time to feed all these people every week. 
let's just knock this out. And so this thing that was originally combined and actually a meal where everybody shared became what we know today, which is what? A little baby juice, a little cracker crumb. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how we got from this, what was there to here, but this is what happened. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Some faith streams are actually trying to bring this back. Uh, Anglicans, sometimes in the Methodist church. Uh, uh, it's a big thing in the house church, home church movement. But let's talk about this agape. The agape feast was inviting everyone in, having a potluck together around a common table. The Jewish custom of, and it, it works this way too, even today, if you have Jewish friends, if they invite you into, your, into their home, it's an extension of friendship, right? It's a big deal. They, they want you around their table. It was an invitation to friendship. And, and I think this is part of that whole example of Jesus. You see Jesus doing this all over the place, don't you? Right? With sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Um, it it kind of reminds me of, uh, did any of you guys go to the Nashville Rescue Mission to the coffee house? So pretty recently, we took food to the coffee house at the Nashville Rescue Mission, right? Feed them. Make friends, right? Extend to them something. Because at this meal, around the table, everyone was equal. Now remember what I just told you about Corinth. Corinth is a place of rigid division. And now there's this place that they can come around the table and everyone would be equal. Societal differences would have been obliterated. Barriers were torn down. It was a place of belonging. Remember, Paul says again and again in his letter to Corinth, like if there's one message, he says, you belong. It was a space for dignity and bonding and relationship building. It was the basis of a whole new world and society, a, a place where the love of God was offered to and evident to everyone, at least until the people of Corinth started messing it up. Look what he says in verse 18. You're going to have to fast forward, Murrin. Keep going. There he is. He says, here's what I've heard, that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. Imagine this. Just like, like, like this is all conjecture, but I want you to use your imagination. Put yourself back in Corinth. So imagine that, that uh, maybe you are a rabbi in a synagogue, but Paul has come and convinced you that Jesus really is the Messiah. And so now you start attending this church. But also in this church, uh, imagine there is, uh, in Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite, right? And the priestesses of Aphrodite who applied their trade at night with all the sailors, right? Now imagine you were a priestess of the temple of Aphrodite and Paul talked to you. And Paul convinces you that Jesus really is the way to God. And now you're an ex-priestess of the temple of Aphrodite, and he invites you to this church too for a meal. Now you have an ex-rabbi of a synagogue, potentially, sitting next to an ex-prostitute priestess of the temple of Aphrodite. Awkward much? Right? But not just that. Slaves and slave owners. The really wealthy who eat fine meals every day and the really poor who are coming to the only real meal they could have all 
weak. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Can you imagine explaining to your other wealthy friends why you're at this meal with all these poor people? Or to all your Jewish friends while you were hanging out with an ex-prostitute from the Temple of Aphrodite? Think it was difficult? Can't you imagine that at this meal, maybe some were sliding to this end of the table and some were sliding to this end of the table? Do you see that? Could you imagine that some might actually show up early and leave early? <laughs> see how that works? Look, Paul's going to go on to say, look what he says in these next few verses. It's pretty amazing. In verse 21, he says, For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some even go hungry and others get drunk. In verse 17, he says, I can't praise you for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. In verse 20, he says, when you meet together, this is maybe the most damning of all of them. He says, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. I see a church filled with people trying to do their Lord's Supper duty, right? Like they knew about the Lord's Supper of the cup and the bread. They knew what it meant. They knew that they needed to do this in a worthy way. And so here they are hurriedly in a corner taking the elements of the Lord's Supper and then just as hurriedly leaving so as not to associate with each other. Jesus himself speaks to this kind of idea in, a, in Matthew chapter 5. He tells the people, he said, if you're coming to the temple to leave a sacrifice, leave your gift at the altar and go and settle your disputes with brothers or sisters before you bring it, right? He says, before you come and do your religious act of worship, I want you to be reconciled with each other. I see this happen still today. Christians trying to somehow fulfill their religious duty while at the same time denying the body of Christ, while at the same time denying the church. But I think the way we are with others is maybe the truest test of our faith. The Lord's Supper, along with the love feast, was given to us by Christ to remember his sacrifice, 100%. It was given to us so that we would remember the life we have through the sacrifice of Jesus. And the Lord's Supper was intended to fuel relationships in the church. It was intended to, to fuel community and fellowship and connection and harmony. It was intended to grow and strengthen the body of Christ. Are you with me? Good. Let's practice. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. Um, and I want you to do two things. Uh, really, Paul comes down to, to kind of two instructions about all this. So, I mean, we could go all over the place, but, but really Paul's two instructions to the church at Corinth fall and look like this. The very first one is examine yourself. 
when I pray, when I say these words, when you take these elements that are on the table, man, I want you to examine yourself. I want you to remember what Christ has done. That one died for many, right? That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have the promise and hope of new life, right? And that remembrance causes us to respond and live into the world in brand new ways. And so that's about to happen. I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to do that. I want you to do this worthily. I want you to examine yourselves. But I also want you, number two, he, Paul simply says, he says it this way. He says, I want you to wait for each other. And what I think he means is, don't rush it. Okay? In what's about to happen, I want you to linger. Uh, we intentionally pulled our hug and howdy time from the beginning of our worship. Maybe some of you noticed. And I want to take that huggy howdy time and I want to insert it into our communion time. Okay? So our overwhelmingly, our church is loving and greeting and welcoming. And I want you to do that too. Okay? I want you to do that now. To help facilitate some of this on our communion tables, we've added some extra stuff. There's some cheese and crackers and some grapes. We're trying to grease the wheels here a little bit, right? It's not a full meal by any stretch. But we want you to spend time together, right? I know every introvert in here is dying inside. I'm so sorry. It's... I think it was about togetherness. In chapter 12, Paul is going to talk about the body of Christ, and, and Christ is the head of this body. But inside the body, no part can tell another part that they're somehow not valuable or unneeded or unnecessary. And so this space, this body becomes a place of healing and encouragement. It becomes a place of grace and peace. And I'm going to add this element to, to this too. Uh, I, I'm going to give you the opportunity to pass the peace. Any of you know what that means? Pass the peace. Some of you, okay, some of our liturgical folks, help us out here. Help us out here. But the way, essentially, the, the way the disciples, the apostles wrote every letter, they begin almost every letter with ex this exact same phrase. And when Jesus greets somebody, he almost always greets someone with the exact same thing. He says, peace be with you. And the response is, and also with you. And so I'll actually put this on the screen. I'll help you out. In this Lord's Supper agape feast time, I want you to extend to each other the peace, the shalom of God. Right? It's a simple thing to take a hand and say, peace be with you and also with you. Right? And in so doing, what do we do? What happens to the body of Christ when we do that? When this becomes a place of peace, a place of unity, a place of grace and forgiveness, a place of encouragement and blessing. I encourage you to share with each other what you've received in Christ. Has Christ shared some word or kindness with you this week? Share it with others. So I don't know if I'm going to put a clock on the screen. I know we're not good at this kind of uh, open space, but I want to give you a space to talk, maybe pray, 
maybe encourage, maybe just say, hey, welcome. Are you new here? A place to affirm, a place to bless. Because I think the Lord's Supper and the Feast of the Agape were intended to be a gift. A gift we offer to each other and a gift we share with each other. All right, so everybody know what you're going to do? Everybody got this down? We've got the table set around the room. You're going to actually get up, talk to each other. Um, I want you to definitely, like, you know, be thinking about uh, examining yourselves, and this, this prayer time is a great space. But when you're up and moving, man, I want you to engage the body of Christ. All right, I'm trusting you with this. I believe you can do it. Let me say a prayer for us. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and for its power. We thank you for um, the way it leads us and speaks to us. God, I, I'm, so, I'm so thankful that, that, that your example and, and your teachings are, are so incredibly needed and relevant in our world today. Father God, maybe there are divisions that exist in this place. Maybe we've been trying to rush through some sort of like religious ritual just to kind of move on with the rest of our life. And Father God, help us in these moments to linger. Help us to slow down in your presence. Help us as we stretch hands across aisles, Father God, help us to realize our connection and the community that exists in your body and that, that we're a part of it. And Father God, help us to realize that that none of that is possible. No, nothing that is good or noble or true in the church is possible without the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And so let every heart turn inward now. And God, if there is some unconfessed, unrepented part of us, Father God, let us pour that out to you so that we might receive the new covenant of your blood, the new life that you offer to us. Father, let us receive it as a, a gift of grace. And Father God, let us extend it as a gift of grace. We love you, Father. This space, what's about to happen, is for you. Let it honor you. Let it honor your son, Jesus. We love you. And in your son, Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen. All right, I invite you to stand and enjoy a time of communion together.